Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 86. Hey, thanks for joining me. Today, we are speaking with Dewey Barker from Case Medical. Now, Dewey is going to talk about some of the important science behind cleaning and sterile processing. He has some great stuff, some great information, so stick around for that. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we just finished the HSPA Conference and Expo in Nashville. And I have to be honest, probably one of the best conferences I've ever attended. I saw lots of great folks. You know who you are. The venue was great. It was at the Gaylord. If you've never been there, it's a great venue. Some of the best education programs I've had uh, to be a part of was during this conference, and it was great. And, you know, can't say enough about the vendor show at the expo hall. It's always very exciting. It never disappoints. But if you missed it, you know, I'm really sorry. But listen, the next conference is in Las Vegas. The HSPA staff are already gearing up for this one because it's going to be awesome. Start saving now. Start working on your leaders. Start getting your facilities to budget for you to attend because it's going to be one for the ages. Most importantly, though, the education you get in Vegas won't stay in Vegas. So with that, let me introduce my next guest, Dewey Barker. Dewey Barker is the clinical manager at Case Medical Incorporated. He founded and served as president of the Gulf Coast Association of Sterile Processing Professionals, as well as serving on the board of directors for HSPA, formerly ISHM, for eight years. He worked in the role of OR manager, sterile processing manager, OR purchasing manager for over 20 years. Mr. Barker holds a Master's of Science in Clinical Psychology from Mississippi State University, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Alabama, and an RN license in the state of Florida. He also holds a CRCST certification and the CIS Instrument Specialist certification. He has edited several HSPA formerly issued publications, including the 8th edition of the Central Sterile Technical Manual and authored the Technician's Exchange column in the Isham publication, formerly Communicate. He has traveled extensively assessing sterile processing departments and giving in-services and lectures at numerous healthcare facilities and conferences. Well, Dewey, thank you for being on the podcast today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, John. Uh, glad to be with you today. So let's get started with some questions. What are some of the basic principles of science behind cleaning and sterile processing? Okay, well, uh, cleaning is a reaction between soil, bio-burden, and chemical agents that we use. And cleaning science traditionally meant removing visible soil or unwanted substances for su from surfaces and the environment without harming the devices that you're trying to clean. But today it means so much more as it includes things like 
uh, microbial contaminants, things we can't see, uh, chemical residues, and biological or chemical pollutants. Thorough cleaning is required before high-level disinfection and sterilization because inorganic and organic materials that remain on the surfaces of instruments interfere with the effectiveness of these processes. When used on patients, reusable devices become soiled and contaminated with microorganisms and inadequate cleaning between patients can result in the retention of blood, tissue, and other biological debris or soil on the devices. And leftover people is never a good thing in sterile processing. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, we don't want that going back into somebody else. So uh, this debris can allow microbes to survive the subsequent disinfection and sterilization processes, which could lead to healthcare-associated infections or even worse, death. And I've kind of got skin in this game because this happened with my father several years ago. Went in for a, just a normal hip replacement surgery, and he died two or three weeks later oh, wow. uh, from a raging infection. Wow. So uh, we need to be you know, diligent, vigilant in, uh, uh, in, in everything that we do in sterile processing because those are our patients. Whether we ever see them or not, we've got to take care of our patients. And cleaning is a science with multiple steps, sometimes hundreds of steps, in the case of flexible endoscopes. And I recently saw an IFU for an endoscope had 144 separate steps wow. to cleaning it. And, and I know for a fact that uh, when I was the manager of sterile processing in the hospital, all of my staff are not going to be uh, on top of those 144 steps every time. It's, you've got to be meticulous or somebody can die specific parameters have to be met. Uh, cleaning is the critical first step for decontamination of reusable devices and proper cleaning ensures patient safety and provides a necessary step prior to disinfection and sterilization. So from your experience, what are some of the common mistakes made during the cleaning procedures in the decontamination area? Well, I'm continually going in and out of facilities, and, and some common mistakes that I see are not following the IFUs. Uh, we're told you know, repeatedly in every presentation I've heard, follow the manufacturer's instructions for use. Mm -hmm. uh, inconsistent cleaning practices across techs and decontamination in the decontamination area, and not rinsing well or the lack of attention to detail. Now, some of this comes from not understanding the science behind the process, not understanding dilution rates, mixing chemicals, not understanding how pH affects the process and the result. But some of it comes from not looking at the IFUs or from the concept that we've always done it this way or this is how they showed me how to do it. And, and lack of attention to detail often comes from being pushed to get it done and back into service quickly and not having time to inspect at every step. Uh, this can lead to a set moving through prep and pack and sterilization areas with retained residue, bio burden, or something from the environment landing on the container, having it baked on in the sterilizer and then being identified in the OR when the set's open or worse while it's being used during the surgical procedure. Can you talk about some of the critical factors involved in cleaning? Sure. Some of the critical factors involved in cleaning is choosing the correct cleaning agent for the job to begin with. You must understand the factors that contribute to the effectiveness of the cleaning agent. Does it have the proper components or enzymes for the soil you want to clean? What's the water quality? Do you have additional chemicals that have been added to the water or is there a water system that's been maintained properly and the filters changed regularly? 
You must have a good working knowledge of the process parameters such as time, concentration, temperature, pH, and mechanical action or friction. You should know your equipment and the effectiveness and maintenance schedule of each piece of equipment that you've got in the department. The goal of cleaning is to remove all visible and non-visible soil and microorganisms from the instruments and prepare them for further processing through high-level disinfection or sterilization. If it's not clean, it can't be disinfected or sterilized. The final critical step in cleaning is inspection. You must inspect every instrument for damage, retained soil, or any detergent residue. So you talked about cleaning solutions. So what are some of the characteristics of an ideal cleaning solution? According to the Amy standards, an ideal cleaning agent would be compatible with the instruments or other items that we're cleaning. They should be non-corrosive, non-abrasive, non-toxic, biodegradable, and environmentally friendly. They should also be low foaming and free rinsing to protect those using it and the patients and the items uh, that it's used on, as well as protecting the device being cleaned. They should quickly and easily dissolve or disperse soil and be effective on all types of bio-burden. On top of all of these characteristics, they should be cost-effective and have a long, useful shelf life. Now that we have an idea of what a cleaning solution looks like, are there any other factors that we should consider? Yeah, there's several other factors that need to be taken into consideration. Uh, Mechanical action, whether brushing or uh, sonication, is necessary to remove the dried-on soil and bio-burden from surfaces, but especially inner channels and valves commonly found in many devices, but certainly with those flexible endoscopes. And then cleaning solution components. The correct enzymes for the soil being cleaned, surfactants and chelating agents, uh, should be found in your chemical solution. The concentration or the dilution rate to the detergent. Time, the duration allotted to a cleaning task as well as the time required for a chemical agent to work. And different detergents require different contact times for effective use, so you have to know how long that detergent needs to stay in contact with your instruments or it may not be effective at cleaning the the vial burden off of it. And then temperature. Uh, Higher temperatures give better results as they decrease the viscosity of soils such as fat and grease. And rinse cycles vary from initial cold water rinses to thermal disinfection with, you know, water that's upwards of 180, 190 degrees. Mm -hmm. Then enzymes have ideal temperature ranges based on their activity, but higher temperatures over 149 degrees start to denature or kill your enzymes. And then you're trying to clean with a solution that's not effective at all because you've, you've killed your enzymes. So uh, you have to be careful about uh, all of those uh, extra factors of you know, friction, mechanical action, cleaning solution components, your concentration, time, and temperature. You mentioned two terms, surfactants and cleaning agents. Now, these are two terms that I didn't know when I was uh, coming into sterile processing co- So can you explain these two terms and what they kind of mean? Sure. Uh, Surfactants are the most important part of any cleaner. They can be soap or synthetic agents. The definition of the surfactant is surface active agent. Surfactants are chemicals that are dissolved in a solvent or water that lowers surface tension. Surfactants place themselves between the liquid and the solid, the soil, surround it and dislodge the soil and bring it into suspension where it can be carried away. Surfactants change how water behaves. 
And when a surfactant is added, the sur uh, surface tension is reduced. And the, sur uh, so the surfactant itself has two ends, a hydrophobic and hydrophilic. The one that is hydrophobic to water and thus attracted to oil and grease forms a sphere called a micelle, which entraps the soil and loosens it from the surface of the device you're trying to clean. And then the second is hydrophilic, such that the entrapped soil is suspended in the water and can be rinsed away. Uh, this suspension is also known as emulsification of one liquid into another. And so basically your enzymes are breaking down the bio burden. The protease breaks down protein, lipase breaks down the fat, amylase breaks down sugar and carbohydrates. And then the surfactant gets up underneath that broken down bio burden and lifts it away from the surface of the instrument so it can be suspended in the water and easily rinsed away. Okay. Now your chelating agents... Uh, basically, chelating agents tie up metal ions in the solution. Chelating agents are chemical compounds that react with metal ions and bind tightly to them and form a stable water-soluble complex. Water hardness acts like soil and uses up the surfactants in the solution, making it harder to clean up the surface of the instrument. Chelating agents combine with the metal ions in the water and tie them up in the solution, placing them in a harmless state and preventing them from attaching to the surface of your cleaned instruments, like when you wash your glasses or your crystal in the dishwasher and it comes out with those white spots mm -hmm. on them, yeah. well, if you had chelating agents in that detergent, that wouldn't happen. It keeps those uh, hard water ions that you can't see floating in your water, total dissolved solids, from reattaching to your clean instruments. Uh, chelating agents also keep the, uh, the, the cleaning agents active. Uh, chelating agents can inhibit uh, enzymes in detergents. That is why some detergent manufacturers recommend a second wash step with a non-enzymatic detergent with high levels of chelating agents or using high-purity water and enzymatic detergents only for instrument processing. So you've broken down your bio-burden with your enzymes. You lift it away with the surfactants. Now you can rinse that away, and now you can use a non-enzymatic detergent to clean the surface of that device that you're trying to clean and then rinse that away. And then you fully cleaned your instrument. So enzymes. When I think of enzymatic solution, I think of, you know, especially when I first started in sterile processing, of just this green stuff I sprayed in the water. <laughs> and the more of it I got, the better it smelled and, you know, you know, it worked. So what are enzymes in that, and what do they do? How do they work? Okay. Well, before I get into how they work, uh, I know that a lot of detergents on the market are, they're pretty colors, the dark blue or dark green, mm -hmm. uh, and that's not always the safest. You, you really want to look for a detergent that doesn't have any dye in it because when you mix bloody water with dark blue and dark green, you get dark purple, dark brown, dark black, and you can't see what you're sticking your hands into. So, so for safety precaution for your staff, you need to use a, a clear detergent that doesn't have dyes added to it and you mentioned uh, you, you put a little extra detergent in there because it smells good yeah. some of them have perfumes in them but if you're using a perfume in your in your solution if your enzymes are dead if you stored them near a heat source that killed them or if they were expired then when you take the lid off your bottle you can't smell that your enzymes are died uh, they mm. have died and you might be trying to clean your instruments with a detergent that's absolutely ineffective time. Uh, okay. Because, you know, you got dead enzymes and you can't smell it because your department smells like Christmas. Uh, <laughs> and, and I remember, you know, those days when we had detergents back there that just make you hungry because <laughs> they, they smelled so good. But you need to be able to smell those enzymes, uh, 
smell that it's a fresh, clean detergent and not something foul smelling. Gotcha. Because you may not clean your instruments properly. Now, enzymes reduce energy and are catalysts at speed reactions. Uh, they're biological molecules that significantly speed the rate of chemical reactions that take place within cells. And enzymes break down into smaller pieces so they can be rinsed away, and others bind to molecules to produce a product, an end product that can be you know, given off and, and washed away. And uh, enzymes are uh, highly selective catalysts and, and speed up reactions, and they are for instrument processing, rapidly removing infectious agents, organic and inorganic soils from surgical devices, so they can be rinsed away. Uh, they facilitate the cleaning process without the need for hazardous chemicals, thus contributing to the sustainability of our environment and our planet. Enzymes are byproducts of living things. Uh, they are large biological molecules, usually proteins that originate in, from living cells, and they speed up chemical reactions up to a million times and function uh, inside a narrow pH range outside of which they lose their structure and become denatured or die. They operate within a defined temperature at significantly lower temperatures than detergents without enzymes. When applied to an instrument, uh, instrument cleaning, time is reduced, energy is reduced, temperature is lessened, and uh, the decontamination process becomes quicker and more efficient. Uh, formulators of instrument chemistries have discovered that uh, the right enzymes can remove a variety of bodily soils, even those dried on surgical devices. In sterile processing, we have washer disinfectors, and and usually there's you know three solutions in there. There's an enzymatic, there's an alkaline solution, and most of the time there's a lubricant or something. So, what is the difference between the enzymatic and the alkaline solutions? Big difference. Uh, enzymatic cleaners save steps. They reduce the work needed to remove organic soil and bio burden. And there may be a single protease or a dual protease or multiple enzymes in a cleaning solution. They're usually pH neutral or near neutral detergents. And like all chemical components, enzymes must be rinsed from the equipment and devices or adverse reactions can, can happen. Uh, enzyme activity is also affected by temperature, pressure, chemical environment, the pH, and the concentration of the substrate or the soil. Enzymes break down proteins into smaller molecules, making them easier to wash away. And enzyme solutions dissolve protein, uh, biofilms, excuse me. They dissolve biofilms, which keep instruments from staining and becoming breeding grounds for bacterial growth. Now, with alkaline cleaners, they have good detergency, but poorly rinse and leave deposits. They're corrosive to metals with a pH of greater than 9, and they destable enzymes and need to be neutralized. Now, they aggressively remove soil, but can harm the devices that they're intended to clean and can be harmful for, to people as well. Now, I mentioned that they, you know, they need to be neutralized. So if you apply an alkaline detergent to a container, um, an aluminum container especially, it's going to strip the finish off of that container. And if you apply an acid neutralizer to it, you're going to do damage twice. It's not neutral. It's not neutral in the middle. You've got alkaline on one end and acid on the other end. It sounds neutral because you're balancing it out, but when you're actually using one at a time, that's not neutral. While they are effective in hard water environments, I believe the multi-enzymatic cleaning solutions are safer for your instruments, the staff, your patients, and the environment. And research has demonstrated greater protein removal by enzymatic detergents 
versus alkaline detergents. In a recent study uh, in Great Britain, it was found that during a common CSSD wash cycle, uh, a formulated multi-enzymatic detergent with validated enzyme activity can break down 200 to 1,000 greater number of peptide bonds than the comparable alkaline solution. And uh, we, we used, uh, uh, I think it was some kind of electron microscope uh, pro-ready uh, look at an allegedly cleaned instrument, and they cleaned the instrument with alkaline detergent and cleaned the same set of scissors with multi-enzymatic cleaner. The enzyme, the multi-enzymatic detergent, showed much better cleaning hmm. uh, with less residue than the alkaline detergent left. Interesting. You touched on this uh, a little bit already, but there are different enzymes that do different things. You know, you spoke about the, the protease, the lipase, and amylase uh, agents. What are they, and how do folks go about picking the right solutions for their needs and for their department? Okay, well, all three of those, protease, amylase, and lipase, work on different components of the soil that we try to clean off the of surgical instruments. And protease breaks down blood, mucus, feces, albumin, basically protein. Uh, lipase breaks down fat and fatty deposits such as bone marrow and adipose tissue. If your instruments are greasy, I know a lot of you know, total joint cases and some of the plastic cases that are done, your instruments are greasy when they come back to decontent. If your instruments are still greasy after you've cleaned them, then that's telling me there's not, either there's no lipase in your detergent or there's not enough lipase in your detergent to break down that fat if, they okay. still greasy, if they're still greasy after you wash them. And then amylase breaks down starches, carbohydrates, and sugars. Cellulases break down cell walls, including biofilms. So they all have a specific job to do, and you need to pick the right cleaner for the job you're trying to do. Some enzymatic cleaners have single or dual enzymes only, and many times in a dual enzymatic, both enzymes are proteases. So you need to look at your detergent. I, I go in and see customers... Uh, frequently, they say, oh, we, well, we use a dual enzymatic detergent. It's like, well, which enzymes are in there? Well, I don't know. Uh, well, let's look at the bottle. Oh, look, they're both proteins. That's why your instruments are still greasy. Some, you need the lipase in there. Some enzymatic cleaners have trace amounts and enzymes that, when diluted, have little or no effectiveness. And some enzymatic cleaners uh, are not properly stabilized. The protease will attack the other enzymes in the mix and make the product ineffective. Others are not water dispersible and can't be poured down the drain. So you need a cleaner that has stabilized enzymes that will be effective on the types of soils you commonly find in your department. Uh, you have to have instruments. Uh, if you have those greasy instruments, you need a cleaner that has sufficient levels of lipase to effectively break down the fat or your instruments are going to stay greasy after cleaning them. Be aware that many cleaners are not validated for the intended use. You should always look for validated or EPA uh, safer choice certified chemistries for safety, effectiveness, and for sustainability. Hey, let's pause our conversation for just a second. So are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Well, you are in the right place. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, log on to the MyHSPA website, and make sure you use the code LIPAYS. Again, the code for this episode and only this episode is LIPAYS. Now, let's get back to our conversation. 
water quality, in my opinion, is a really hot topic right now. Does water quality affect cleaning effectiveness? More than most anything else you could think of. Uh, yeah, water is important in all stages of medical device reprocessing. In fact, uh, water is required for each step in the decontamination process, from soaking to manual cleaning to automated cleaning to rinsing, including the final disinfecting rinse. Tap water contains hard water ions and chlorides and fluorine, which can affect the outcome of instruments processed in healthcare settings. Pure or critical water, like reverse osmosis water or RO water, improves the effectiveness of the cleaning agent and the process. Uh, water that's safe to drink may not be acceptable for reprocessing or even uh, or, or for sterilizing it, uh, surgical devices. Mm. Most public water systems include additives such as chlorine, dissolved salts, sometimes significant uh, naturally occurring mineral content, and even organic contaminants, bacteria, and endotoxins that they just don't get filtered out, and we usually hear those on the nightly news. Uh, <laughs> Uh, depending on water hardness and temperature, the water used can lead to a formation of hard water deposits. When water evaporates, some substances can remain as visible mineral residues. And water supports the growth of gram-negative bacteria and other microorganisms. Water is a breeding ground for microorganisms, so no amount of water in a tray that's been processed should be acceptable. And, you know, looking at our standards from Amy ST79, AORN, if there's water in the tray, it needs to be reprocessed. Mm. Uh, that is a breeding ground for microorganisms. If somehow the microorganism gets in that container or wasn't killed during the sterilization or high-level disinfection process, it will continue to grow. If you had an instrument in that set that wasn't completely cleaned, you might be making people soup in your tray. Oh, wow. And that, that's not something we want to eat. No. Uh, <laughs> calcium, magnesium, uh, Higher or low pH can stain instruments and inactivate disinfectants. That is why distilled reverse osmosis or deionized water is recommended uh, for use dilution with all concentrated instrument cleaners and approved disinfectants. Uh, tap water is contaminated with toxic heavy metals, synthetic organic chemicals, chlorine, biological parasites, and thousands of other you know, harmful contaminants. And water can also damage stainless steel instruments. Stainless instruments are susceptible to pitting when there is an increase in the chloride content of the water. When there is an increase in temperature with decreasing pH values, increased exposure times, insufficient drying, and the concentration of chloride from the dry residues to the instrument surfaces after evaporation. Deionized water removes charged ions but has no capacity for removal of non-charged ions like bacteria and bacterial endotoxins and we need to get those gone too. Yeah. Uh, DI water treatment requires close monitoring. For when its uh, capacity is exceeded, the treated water can have dangerously high levels of previously removed contaminant. Uh, ultrasonic, uh, ultrafiltration or UV uh, may uh, be required after deionized water treatment. In recent years, there's been a growing awareness about the importance of water in the decontamination of surgical devices and, and the harmful effects, uh, effects of even minute quantities of contaminants. This is of particular concern uh, because certain medical devices introduce contaminants directly into the patient's body. And, you know, it's not normally protected 
by skin and mucous membranes when you get you know, when you're up to your elbows in somebody's <laughs> guts yeah. uh, and so you're you're directly placing these uh, contaminants into the patients and uh, metal uh, organic compounds microorganisms and pyrogens can lead to adverse reactions in patients Amy published TR 34 back in uh, 2014 which defined four steps uh, of monitoring quality and in that and what way reprocessing personnel and water maintenance personnel should collaborate with administrative personnel to implement water quality initiatives in the in the department uh, you should perform an assessment of water quality implement a water treatment process assure through audits and proper water quality and establish ongoing monitoring of water quality tr34 also identifies four levels of water quality which is determined by the medical device to be cleaned and by the disinfection or sterilization process that you're using. Uh, these four categories are potable water, softened water, deionized water, and high purity water or RO water. Uh, potable water can be used for pre-cleaning and cleaning of critical devices and for rinsing of semi-critical and non-critical devices, but pure high purity water is required for critical medical devices and recommended for semi-critical devices as well. So surgical instrument cleaning needs to be high purity, low in, uh, endotoxin water, and uh, that's the safest way to clean your water. You, you use less detergent, less time, less temperature, the better quality of water you have. Dewey, thank you for being on the podcast. You know, cleaning is such a critical part of what we do in sterile processing. And, you know, just thank you for your insight and explaining some of those those critical factors and, and terms that we should know. And, you know, really, it was great to have you on the show. So thanks, Dewey. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, folks, that music can only mean one thing. And I'm sorry to say that we are out of time for today. I want to thank you again, Dewey and Case Medical, for being on the show. It's a great show. HSPA episode number 86 is in the books. Each episode that we do here on the show is on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. So check us out. And as always, stay classy and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 